Philadelphia. We were reminded last week that this is the only other church to not receive a rebuke from the Lord. You'll remember that uh, there were only two churches that would not receive a rebuke. It was them and the believers there in the church of Smyrna. And what was said about this church of Philadelphia is that they were a church that had little strength. They were not an impressive church. They were not a church that was significant by way of size or stature in the community. And yet what the Lord said of this church and body of believers was that they kept the word, they had not denied the Lord God, and they were patient in the midst of their afflictions. And what I tried to show us last week was it's not just what was said about the church of Philadelphia, because those things were also said of other churches, but it was what was not said of the believers of Philadelphia that set them apart from the different churches. We know that uh, they had not left their first love. They were not just going through the religious motions. We were reminded that they were not tolerating sin within the church, and uh, they were willing to deal with sin as it needed to be dealt with in the church. And so I tried to remind us last week that if we want to be commended by God as a church family, it's not all dependent upon what can be said about us because many good things may be said about us, but it doesn't mean that certain things cannot be said about us. And it needs to be that it could never be said of us, well, they're just going through the motions that they don't truly love the Lord the way they should. It should never be said of us that we're letting culture dictate our doctrine and what we teach and what we preach. And it cannot be said of us that we tolerate sin, that we're willing to turn a blind eye to it or sweep it under the rug. We have to be a church that is willing to deal with sin. And so if these things can be said of us, that we're faithful to the Lord God, that we do not deny him in the midst of difficulties, and uh, we're patient in the midst of trials and difficulties, and certain things cannot be said of us, then obviously we stand a much better chance of being commended. All right? So that's what we talked about last week. Today we're going to be looking at the seventh and final church, uh, the church of Laodicea, probably one of the more popular churches in the uh, list that is given here in the book of Revelation. But this morning I want us to think about something real quick that I think you know to be true, but I want us to get uh, our, our minds thinking, as I've said on many occasions, in a particular direction. I want us to think about this truth, and that is this. Sometimes the very things that can serve as a benefit to someone or a help to someone can also serve as a hindrance to that same person. You understand that to be true, that, that a person may possess something or a person may have the ability to do something, and while that could be a help to them and while it could be a benefit to them, at the same time it could also serve as a hindrance to them in their overall direction of life. How do you know? Well, think about someone who is intelligent. Is it a blessing to have some intelligence? Well, of course it is. Only the ignorant people would say, no, no, no good to have any intelligence, okay? We understand, right? It's a good thing to have intelligence. But we also know that sometimes if a person has too much intelligence, that can work against them. Because you've probably met someone like this. They were so smart, they were just kind of above everyone. And as a result of their superior intelligence, they really didn't know how to relate to just everyday common individuals. 
It's like we would say of them, man, they don't have any common sense. You can't carry on a conversation with them. They're just thinking at a, at a level that, that so few people think of or think of with. And, and so here's a person, and they've been blessed with wonderful intelligence. And we would say, well, man, that is great. That is fantastic. That is wonderful. But, man, that intelligence is also serving as a hindrance to you. You might say that about someone's athleticism. If a person cares about athletics, they want to be athletic, Right? And so if a person who cares about athletics has been blessed with a measure of athleticism, it is a wonderful thing. But that athleticism can also serve as a hindrance to them. Because their athleticism and what they have maybe by way of natural ability or what they have by maybe a measure of natural ability plus hard work could cause them to be very critical of other people who don't meet their standard of athleticism. It could cause them to be arrogant. It could cause them to be proud. It could cause them to be critical. It could cause a whole lot of different things to, to pop up in their life that they would not have otherwise dealt with if they were not as athletic as they are. So intelligence can work for a person or it can work against a person. Athleticism can work for a person or it can work against a person. The same could be true of a person's looks. Could it not? So I don't know how I want to answer that one. It could. See, a person could be really good looking, and it's a good thing to be good looking, I would suspect. But if a person begins to get arrogant about their looks, well, obviously that works against them. A person's ambition can be a good thing or it can be a negative thing. It can drive them to a point of doing well in life, but it can also drive them past the point of just moderate success, but to the point where their success becomes their only objective in life at the cost of their life, or at the cost of their health, or at the cost of their family's life, or at the cost of their spiritual life. So you understand, don't you, that many things in life, it's good, but if not contained or dealt with properly, it could also serve as a tremendous hindrance in that individual's life. Now, this morning, we'll, we'll get back to that in a few moments, but this morning we're going to be dealing with, as I've already said, the Church of Laodicea. The Church of Laodicea. Years ago, when Susie and I were living in Springfield, our pastor would make this blanket statement from time to time. He would say, we are living in the Laodicean church days or the Laodicean church age. Without question, he was correct in the sense that churches of the Laodicean spirit certainly exist. But every church of Revelation still exists in one form or one manner in some part of the world today. And so you cannot say that as a whole and collectively the, the world is in the Laodicean church age, but without question the Laodicean church is still very much alive and well in our religious culture today. Some people have suggested that the church of Laodicea was not even a real church, that it was not a church that uh, was made up of believers. And just so you know, if you ever hear that from someone else, just know your pastor does not agree with that. I believe that within the church there of Laodicea, it was made up of believers. Certainly there would have been lost people in it as well, which is true of every church. But if it were not a church of called out believers, then they would not have received a letter from the Lord in relation to their spiritual condition. 
All right? And so here's the, the church of Laodicea, and they're going to receive a letter just as the other churches did. And if you notice in verse number 14, or in verse number 15, it says, Of the church, I know thy works. Now, if you've been here for the six, six previous messages, you know that that's not a surprise statement. We know that the Lord has said this of all six other churches, so it would be true of the believers of Laodicea, the church of Laodicea, God knew exactly what was happening and what was taking place in that church and in the lives of the people who made up that church. So when God says, I know thy works to the church and to the people there in Laodicea, this was not an assumption. This was not based on things that he had heard from other sources or anything like that. No, when God said that he knew their works, he knew exactly what was happening and what was taking place. Now, I find it interesting, and you may not, but I find this interesting, that as you look at the church of Laodicea, the same thing happens to them that happened to the believers in Sardis. The believers in Sardis did not receive one word of praise from God. The people of Sardis, the believers of Sardis, they were not told anything positive that they were doing right by the Lord. And if you look in verse number 16 or verse number 15, it says this, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. He doesn't say anything about their patience. He doesn't say anything about their discernment. He doesn't say anything about their labor. He does not say anything positive about this church. He does not say anything that they are doing correctly, that they are doing the way it's supposed to be done. No, he says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. Then you look in verse number 16, and he says, because they are neither cold nor hot, they are lukewarm. That's a statement that many of us are familiar with, correct? You are not cold, neither are you hot. You are lukewarm. Well, what does it mean for a person to be lukewarm? It means this, to have little zeal or enthusiasm or to be indifferent. It means to have little zeal or enthusiasm towards something or to be indifferent towards something. Now, obviously, there is a context in which this statement is made, but I want to illustrate this real quick so that we can fully understand what the Lord was trying to communicate here. And I, I thought about how do you illustrate cold, hot, and lukewarm within a church family, and it came to me pretty quick because I felt this way on different occasions whenever I've talked about the subject of sports. Here's what I know. Some of you like sports. Few of you like sports. Do you not? I like sports. I like to watch football. I like to watch basketball. I, I can watch baseball at the right time of the season. And, and so I would say of myself, I like to watch sports, and there are some sports that I like more. So if you want to talk about college football, guess what? I am willing to talk college football with you. And I can talk about college football for a long time, and I am more than happy to sit down and watch a good college football game. I'll even watch a bad college football game. Why? Because I like college football. Some of you would feel that way about professional football. And some of you would say, man, I could talk about professional football for, for hours if a person was willing to listen, okay? That would be someone who is hot on the subject of football, whether it be college or professional. Or, yeah, professional. That, that would be someone who is hot. This would be the person in our church who is cold toward football. Now, what one is that? 
what sport is football? Now, maybe you wouldn't be completely ignorant as to which one was football. You might get it right nine times out of ten that that's the sport football is. But, but you would say something like this. I have no idea what's going on in the game of football. You might say something like this. I don't care at all about the game of football. You might say something like this. If football is on in this room, I'm going to be somewhere in a different room because I don't care about football. You may say something like this. Oh, honey, I am sick of hearing about football. Give it up. I don't want to talk about football anymore. You may say something like this. Man, whenever my husband gets with his friends, they can talk about football forever, and nothing bores me worse than to hear my husband talk to his friends about football. All right, you know what you are toward football? Football, you are cold toward football. This is the person who is lukewarm toward football. Oh, I don't care. I'm fine with or without it. Oh, if my husband's watching it, yeah, I'll sit down and watch it with him. I mean, I don't mind sitting and, and watching a game with him every once in a while. Yeah, I went to a football game with my husband one time, but I mean, it, it's really nothing that interests me. I mean, hey, if he's going and we've got an extra ticket, you can have mine. I don't care. I'm okay with it, but I'm okay without it. You see the difference here? It's not that they love football. It's not that they hate football. It is that they have no zeal or passion about football. And when it comes to the sport of football, watching it, watching people play it, whatever it may be, whether it be family, friends, or complete strangers, when it comes to the subject of football, they're just completely indifferent. You cannot excite them about football, nor can you get them depressed about the score of a football game. Just whatever. Now here's the context in which this letter was being written. Obviously not about football. We're talking about the spiritual condition of believers' lives and the spiritual condition of the church they were a part of. And here is what the Lord said of the believers who made up the church of Laodicea. He said, you are not cold and neither are you hot. Think about that for just a moment. Here are believers sitting in a church in Laodicea. How often they assembled, we don't know. I'm sure it didn't look like our schedule of services. But here are believers who would make up this body of, uh, of Christ here in this church in Laodicea. And, and here is what the Lord says. I know your works. I am fully acquainted with the spiritual condition of your church, which is made up of the people in this church. And here's what I know. You're not cold. What does it mean to not be cold toward the spiritual condition of themselves and the church? It means this. They're not completely disinterested. These are not people who would have stood in opposition to God. These are not people who would have stood in opposition to the things of God. This is not a group of people who would have stood in opposition to the declaration of the Word of God. These were not people who were trying to silence the message of God and the Word of God and the teachings of God. Listen, these were not people who persecuted believers. That would be absurd. Why? Because they would identify themselves as believers. So they were not cold, but at the same time, they were not hot toward the things of God. Understand what this means? It means that whenever it came to the things of God, they had zero passion about the things of God. There was no excitement about the things of God. 
There was no anticipation that church is tomorrow. There, there was no sense of what kind of ministry could we be engaged in. There, there was no sense of what could I do to further the kingdom? What could I do to invest in a person's life? What could we as a family do to invest in the lives of another family? When it came to the lives of the believers of Laodicea, they were not anti-God. They weren't against the teachings and the preachings and the principles of the Word of God. But at the same time, these were people who had no zeal or passion or excitement about the things of God whatsoever. No, when you looked at their spiritual lives, you know what they were? They were indifferent. They were just lukewarm. Fine with or without it. Think about this. When the church assembled, if they were there or if they weren't there, kind of indifferent. What difference does it really make? Well, they may be there, but their friends may not be there. Oh, well, whatever. You understand this? <laughs> Don't make us do this two weeks in a row. It was really rough last week, okay? <laughs> Remember what it would look like for them. I mean, think about this, what it would look like for them. They would be sitting there in their assembly, whatever it would have looked like. They may or may not be there. Their friends may or may not be there. And, you know, it really wouldn't matter to them. It's kind of indifferent. They would sit there through the preaching of the Word of God. And, and if the Word of God was coming forth with power, they just kind of sat there like, hmm. And if the Word of God coming forth was as boring and as dry as stale crackers, hmm, just indifferent. When it came to the Word of God being preached, if a person got convicted by the preaching of the Word of God and they recognized that there was sin in their life that needed to be addressed, that needed to be taken care of and needed to get victory in, if a person got victory over sin in their life, you know what they did? Good. I'm happy for them. And you know what? If they didn't get victory over sin in their life, you know what? Huh. It's too bad. Preacher, you don't need to worry about it, though. Preacher, you don't need to get too worked up about it. I mean, hey, preacher, don't get too excited. I mean, hey, you can't make people do anything. Hey, listen, don't, don't get too excited about it. And you know what they were? They were indifferent. So whether or not they were in the house of God, they would have been indifferent toward that. Whether or not their friends were in the house of God and faithful to the things of God, they would have been indifferent toward that. Whether the preaching was hot or whether the preaching was cold, they would have been indifferent toward that. Why? Because it's where I've gone to church all my life and it's where I'm going to go until I die. And I really don't care what the preacher says. I'm not going to get too excited because I was here before he came and I'll be here after he's gone. I, you know, just kind of indifferent. Just indifferent as to whether or not people get victory. Hey, I'm glad they did. That's really good. I'm sure they'll see the benefit of it. I mean, me and my wife have sure benefited from it over the years. <laughs> Isn't that right, honey? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Indifferent. Oh, we lost them, huh? Yeah, they're not coming anymore, huh? Well, they'll sure regret that, I can promise you. 
No passion, no zeal, no excitement. I mean, listen, you'll never have to worry about these people getting carried away in a church service. <laughs> They'll never shout you down where you have to say, hey, hey, be quiet, I'm trying to preach. That'll never happen, okay? You'll never have to say to them, quit coming to the altar so often because it's getting just kind of routine for you. No, that's not going to happen. Why? Because they're just kind of indifferent. They didn't really come to church for the purpose of hearing the message anyway, so they're, they're just kind of indifferent. That's what was said of the believers of Laodicea. It might look something like this. You know, if a ministry exists, great. And if a ministry doesn't exist, well, whatever. Now, now follow this. They were not cold and they were not hot. They were lukewarm. They were indifferent. They had no zeal. They had no passion about the things of God. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but it really just got my attention this week. But, but I, I, I think this is amazing. In verse number 15, he says, I would thou wert cold or hot. You know what Christ is saying or what the Lord is saying to the believers of Laodicea in this letter? He was saying, you know what I would rather? I would rather you be cold or hot than to be lukewarm. Now, we all understand why Christ would say, I would rather you be hot than lukewarm. Amen. Correct? I would rather you have a passion. I would rather you have a zeal. I would rather you be able to get excited about the things of God. I would rather you want to talk about the things of God. I would rather that be you than to be lukewarm. I understand that, but it never really dawned on me till this week where the Lord said, you know what, I'd rather you be cold toward the things of God than to be lukewarm toward the things of God. I would rather you have no concern whatsoever than for you to have this little weak, passionless, no zeal approach to your Christian life. Think about this. For a person to sit in the lukewarm church of Laodicea, Christ said, I would rather you be like the guy that you couldn't drag to church than for you to be like the guy you are today. I would rather you have no interest at all in the things of God than for your family to be the type of family that you are today. I would that you were either hot or cold, but your lukewarm condition, he says, we know this in verse number 16, I will spew thee out of my mouth. What does it mean to spew something out of your mouth? It means, as we all know, to vomit. It literally means to discharge the contents of the stomach out the mouth. Here's what the Lord says. Because you are not hot and because you are not cold, you are lukewarm. I want you to know, Church of Laodicea, that disgusts me. To the point... I will spew you, I will vomit you, and I will discharge you out of my mouth because you make me sick. Now again, the church could only receive such a letter if that were the mentality and the spirit and the attitude of the believers sitting in the church where they were without zeal, where they were without passion, where they were indifferent to the things of God. 
And the Lord said, I'd rather you be hot or cold. But this lukewarm condition is pathetic. This lukewarm condition is ridiculous. Now, I know that I don't have to go through this and spend a long time on this, but I want us to think about the question. I want to think about this thought, this idea. Do lukewarm Laodicean churches still exist today? Absolutely. I've already said that they do. All seven churches still exist to some degree in one part of the world. And so it would be foolish for us to think that no Laodicean churches still exist, which means this, there are still churches present today that are indifferent toward the things of God, which means there are still people sitting in churches today who are indifferent toward the things of God in their own life and in the life of the church that they attend. I can promise you that there were people who went to bed last night with very little consideration as to what this morning was and the significance of it. I can promise you that there were people who went to bed last night with the intentions of going to church, but it wasn't with any kind of zeal or any kind of excitement or any kind of anticipation. It wasn't like, oh good, we get to go to church tomorrow. No, there were people who went to bed and it was like, oh yeah, church is tomorrow, right? Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we need to be sure and set our alarms. Why? Because on Sunday mornings, that's what we do. We do church. And so you get up, and, and I'm not saying you, but I'm saying people, certainly in America and probably in other parts of the world, but, but people, they went to bed on Saturday nights with not much anticipation for what would be happening in the house of God the next day. And they got up the next morning, and there wasn't a whole lot of anticipation. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of excitement. It's like, yeah, I probably ought to go ahead and get dressed, or we're going to be late to church, and we don't want to be late, you know, because we don't get a good seat if we're late, and we, you know, somebody may take our spot on the back row or, or whatever it may be, and we wouldn't want that now, would we? And I'm not talking about you back row people. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just, I am saying, though, you do need to get here a little early if you want those. We have never fought over the front row, I can promise you. People go to bed. They're just kind of nonchalant about it. They wake up in the morning. They're very nonchalant about it. They come to church, and and they're just kind of nonchalant about it. Why? Because it's what they do. They look around and they may notice that old brother so-and-so is not here, sister so-and-so is not here, this family's not here, and it's just kind of, oh, they weren't here today, huh? wonder what's going on with them. I don't know, why don't you call them? Uh, no, I won't do that. Why? Because we're indifferent. I'm not saying you, I'm saying believers today, many are indifferent. And, and so many believers today, they can sit there through the, the presentation of a message, whatever it may be, and, and, and they're never really saying, what was that like prayed about and studied and, 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 and brought together in a way where the Spirit of God was in that? They're not sitting there saying, you know, is this what we're supposed to be getting? It's just, that's what we do. We just kind of sit through church and... If I nod off, I nod off, and if he keeps me awake, he keeps me awake. I mean, good for him. He did well today. He kept me awake. Don't think it doesn't happen. They're just kind of indifferent to the whole idea. And as they leave church, they say, hey, preacher, we'll see you tonight because you know we're going to be here in our place. We don't miss unless something's going on. You understand that, but it's just completely indifferent. You see how this works in the churches? Just completely indifferent. And and if people get victory over sin in their life, good. And if they don't, 
Oh, well, it's just going to hurt them, preacher. Please know many of these comments have been made to me at different times over the years, okay? Well, you know, preacher, it's just going to hurt them. I understand. Have you been praying about it for them? Well, no. Why? Indifferent, because you really don't care. So, you know, at least I'm in my place this time. Okay, good for you. You did real well this time, and you'll be back tonight. Good for you. But, but does it bother you to look around and say, oh, well, so-and-so's not here today, or so-and-so's not here? It, see, if it doesn't bother us, then, then we're indifferent toward us. And, and, and if we're indifferent toward whether or not people get victory over sin in their life, then, 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 then something's wrong. See, and there are people sitting in churches today, and it could possibly be happening in our church right now. But, you know, people look around, and if a ministry's present, fantastic. And if a ministry's not present, yeah, well, whatever. I mean, a perfect example of it could be this. This morning, Leanne didn't have anyone in her Sunday school class. And it'd be very easy for us to look at and go, huh, that's weird. Is it just weird, or is it something that disturbs us? Is it something that bothers us? Is it something that we go, man, that's not the way it's supposed to be. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. They didn't have any, but you see how we can be indifferent? Huh, the bus only had 15 this morning, huh? Well, whatever. I mean, that's good. I mean, that's better than nothing, I guess. At least it wasn't a dry run this time. You know, we've had dry runs before. See how you see how easy it is to become indifferent to the things of God, and so if a ministry's there or if a ministry's not there, I mean, yeah, I mean, well, we don't really have a youth ministry going on right now at the church. Yeah, Brother Kyle did it, but you know, he's got a couple of kids in the youth group, so it's okay for him to do it. I mean, it's not really bothering me because we don't have any kids in the bus or in the in the youth ministry right now. <laughs> sure, glad you're willing to do it, though, preacher. <laughs> Kind of an indifferent attitude, is it not? See, and the Lord said, you know, that, that kind of sickens me. It kind of disgusts me to the point that, you know, I'm, I'm, there's going to come a point, I'm just going to spew you out of my mouth. Because really, I mean, it, it disgusts me. And to the point that I, I just I want to vomit and I want to discharge the contents of my stomach through my mouth. Isn't that a lovely thought to think that, that, a, that a church could be so pleasing to God that the Lord said, you know, I, I just want it out of my system. It's exactly what the Lord said of the church of Laodicea. And for any Laodicean church that exists today and for any Laodicean believer who exists today, guess what? The feelings have not changed in the mind of God toward the church or toward the believer. A lukewarm person is still disgusting in the eyes of God. And a lukewarm person still says, and a lukewarm church still causes him to say, you know what, I would rather you hot or cold, but this whole lukewarm business, that's not going to work. The Lord could tolerate us better by not ever even showing up to the house of God than to show up with a lukewarm attitude and a lukewarm spirit. That's, that's pretty sobering. 
And if you look at the last part of verse number 17, this is how alert they were spiritually. He said, And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Wouldn't you hate to think that you were wretched and not smart enough to know it? Wouldn't you hate to think that you were miserable and not smart enough to know it? Wouldn't you hate to think you were poor and not smart enough to know it? Blind and not smart enough to know it? Naked and not smart enough to know it? I mean, I would like to know that I were one of these. I'd like to think I was smart enough to know this. But the believers of the church of Laodicea, they were so ignorant to what was going on around them from a spiritual perspective, they did not know that they were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So what tripped this church up? What messed them up? Notice in verse number 17, the, the entire problem is related to this one issue. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. You know what the believers of Laodicea were able to experience and able to enjoy? They were able to enjoy and experience prosperity. Now think about this for a moment. Prosperity is a good thing, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I've been poor and I've been somewhat prosperous, and I like prosperous a whole lot better than poor. I, I consider prosperity a good thing. But understand, please, the Scripture seems to make this clear that while there is nothing in and of itself wrong with prosperity, because many of God's people throughout the Scripture were prosperous, what the Scripture does make clear is this, is that prosperity, while it can be a help to a person, it can also serve as a hindrance to an individual. That which could be and should be a blessing can also cause problems in the spiritual lives of the people. See, you're neither hot nor cold. I would that thou wert hot, cold, or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and you don't even know or perceive or recognize that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You know what the Lord is saying? He is saying this, because you have no need from a physical, monetary sense, you have also come to conclude in your spiritual life that you don't have any needs. You think because you have riches and because you have been increased with goods that you don't need anything and you don't even need anything in your own spiritual life and your spiritual walk with the Lord. You know what tripped this church up more than anything and you know what tripped these believers up more than anything? Financial prosperity. Life was good, and maybe it became a little too good. And because life was so good and seemingly a little too good, they didn't quite know how to handle it. And because they didn't quite know how to handle it, it began to cause problems in their spiritual life and in their spiritual development, not just with themselves personally, but then corporately within the whole church. I wonder if that could be said of churches in America today. 
I mean, think about this for just a moment. Do we not enjoy a measure of prosperity? Well, of course we do. I mean, America is a very prosperous nation. With all of our problems, we're very prosperous people. And whether we want to agree with this or not, compared to the rest of the world, every one of us are rich and we have increased in goods and we are abounding. The fact that you have a house, the fact that you have multiple pairs of clothes to choose from, the fact that you have a car, the fact that you have food in the refrigerator and in the cabinets and all of these different things. Listen, friends, we are rich people. And you know what the prosperity has done to many professing believers, it has destroyed them spiritually and caused them to become indifferent. Why? Because with all of their wealth and because of all of their riches, they no longer associate any kind of spiritual need in their life because all of their physical needs are already met. Think about it. When you see people begin to prosper and begin to do well, Many times it begins to have an effect on church attendance. Why? Because they can now afford to be gone more and to do more. You know, it's not as necessary for them to stay close by because I've now been blessed with all this financial prosperity and, and now, well, we're gone more. don't believe it look around well, we're going to be gone to the lake this week we're going to be gone on this trip this week we're going to be gone on this kids activity this week and we've got this going on this weekend and we've got this going on this weekend do we realize that if we couldn't afford all this financially we couldn't do all of it so you know what's killing a lot of people it's it, it, it's the financial prosperity that they're enjoying Something like this. When we're doing well financially, we don't need God's direction as much as we once did. Because whenever I'm rich, whenever I'm comfortable, why do I need to pray about stuff? I'm making good money. I'll always be making good money. Hey, I'm doing well. We're doing well. We'll always be doing well. And I don't have to pray about things. See, whenever we're rich, it begins to take our dependence off of God, and we begin to place our dependence upon ourselves. And whenever we begin to place our dependence upon ourselves, then we no longer need God's leadership in our lives, which means this, we're no longer walking in communion with Him, and, and we're no longer getting the direction from Him that we need, and, and it begins to cause us to be lukewarm. Listen, I, I've made the mistake because of financial blessings in my life to do things without praying about it, and then later realizing, should have prayed about it. And you know what was my biggest hindrance? It wasn't my poverty, it was my prosperity. Many times it's hard to preach about the blessings of God in a person's life because we're so spoiled we don't even understand what it means to be blessed anymore. We're already blessed. I mean, good night. We're, we're already so blessed that, that if I say, listen, now if you don't walk with God, it'll rob you of the blessings. So we look at our house and our cars and our income and our clothes and the school kids or the kids that we've got and all the school activities that they're a part of. And we assume, well, we must be blessed because we've got all this stuff. And all this stuff could be the very thing that is keeping us from receiving the true blessings of God in our lives. 
Churches have become so rich, now we just throw money at everything in hopes that that will correct it and solve it and fix it. You remember when churches used to have work days? Because churches couldn't afford to hire it all done. And you know what churches do now? Can we afford it? Because Saturdays are my day. Saturday mornings, that's our morning. Saturdays, that's when we go to town. Saturdays are when we go to the city. Saturdays are when we do this. And so, so yes, hey, listen, I know you're going to be at work day, but we're not going to be there because we got other stuff going on. But, but, hey, we're good tithers and we're good givers, so we'll just write another check in hopes that that will just kind of take care of our absenteeism. Well, hey, let's not act like this church hadn't gotten into that mindset some. We're doing so well financially, we don't even have to many times even work anymore. We'll just hire it done. And, and, and if you think I'm, I'm kind of exaggerating that, I mean, I've said now for several weeks in prayer meeting, I'm praying that the Lord would lead somebody to just step up and just lead the youth group. Somebody says, why do you keep talking about that? Because the youth is an important aspect of this church. And I'm saying, God, would you please raise up a youth leader? And what do many of us want to do? And what has our mindset been in times past? We hire it done. Because that's what all the big churches do. If you want to have a good youth group, here's what you do. You hire someone to work with the youth. Yet when you go back to the scripture, the scripture doesn't seem to indicate. I understand a youth group in and of itself. But what I'm saying is it doesn't seem to have a paid staff member to do everything that church members won't do. Because so many people, and I'm not saying in our church, but I'm just saying because so many people who go to church, they're indifferent toward it. And because we've got money, can't we just hire that done as well? See, the prosperity, it's a wonderful thing. It's a blessing to have prosperity. It's a blessing to have the resources to be able to do things. But it can be the very thing that we're blessed with that becomes a hindrance to us. And I, I, I know I've said this in probably every message, but I'm just telling you, I don't want to be a Laodicean church. Amen. I don't want to be a lukewarm church, which means if I don't want to be a lukewarm church or be a part of a lukewarm church, I cannot afford to be a lukewarm Christian. I cannot afford to be indifferent in my spiritual life. I can't afford to have zero zeal and zero passion in my spiritual life. There's got to be something about me that says, I'm going to church tomorrow and I'm excited. There's got to be something that says, I'm looking forward to the preaching of the Word of God and what it might say to me and how it might help me and my family. And I'm looking forward to the Word of God to see what victory I might get in my life. And I'm going to go to church tomorrow. And if there's somebody not there, I'm not going to be indifferent about it and I'm going to have a concern for them and, and if there's not a ministry taking place I'm going to have a burden for it. Do we understand what it means to be hot? As opposed to just coasting and being indifferent. I believe that there are churches out there that are completely cold. They are completely dead, just like the church of Sardis. 
I believe it with everything in me. I believe that there are churches out there that are hot and they are doing what they're supposed to be. And collectively speaking, you've got men and women and families who love the Lord. They're excited about the things of God. They're passionate about it. I believe that there are people out there who are hot in their Christian life. But I believe, at least in the United States, there are many, many, many people who call themselves Christians and they're just kind of indifferent to everything. Why? Because life is good. And sometimes, for many, life is just too good. And when life is just too good, we're able to skip, we're able to not be faithful, we don't have to pray, we can do it ourselves, we can throw money at the situation, and surely that'll take care of it. No. And there are probably, it's safe to say, There are probably many churches who are wretched, who are miserable, who are poor, who are blind, who are naked, and they don't even realize it. I'm going to ask you, because I have to ask myself this question, are you hot toward the things of God? Are you hot toward them? Are you cold toward them? Or if you had to be honest, Jeff, say, you know what? Many times I'm in that lukewarm category. Just remind yourself if you'd have to say, you know what? Many times I'm in that lukewarm, indifferent, no zeal, no passion category. Just remember what the Lord said, how he feels about the lukewarm. That he'd spew you out. And he'd spew me out if I'm lukewarm. We have to work at not letting God's goodness in our life be what eventually takes us away from him. And it happens all the time. Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, I do pray that you'd help us as a church family and as believers, as individuals, to just be willing to to take a look at ourselves and ask how much passion we have for you.